What would you do if you could do anything? Welcome back to The Purpose Effect. I'm Elena. It's not about being happy all the time. It's not about achieving all the time. It's not about feeling like a, a good Samaritan all the time. There's struggle. If you can find meaning in that suffering, if you can find meaning in the struggle, this is what's going to pick you back up. And this is what life is about. It's about becoming and overcoming. The cycle continues over and over again. So yes, you make mistakes, but that doesn't really matter. What happens, what matters is what you do after the mistake. Shay Stone is an animator, a coach, and the author of Be Better Than You, a book that helps anyone get the most out of themselves and their lives. I loved having this conversation with Shay because while her book certainly offers really useful, tangible tips on how to design the life you want, it's also a philosophy on what life really means. For Shay, life is not a pursuit of happiness or even necessarily about finding your purpose. It's more about finding yourself. It's about becoming and overcoming. It's about living from the inside out. Shay and I talked about everything from the importance of being observant, what proactive really means, and what to do when fear paralyzes you. But to begin with, we talk about how Shay developed her unique ability to observe people, situations, and to predict outcomes 10 steps ahead of anyone else. So yeah, as a as a kid, I, to be honest, it, it just came naturally for me, mm-hmm. right? One thing I, I loved when I was a kid is just observing people, right? Um, I didn't really understand what exactly I was doing and what the ultimate goal was. I just knew that this is what I love to do. I love just watching and trying to process what was going on in people's mind versus what their reality was, right? So uh, it was it was it was interesting for me to understand their perception. And what was going on, but also take it and process it on my own for my own level of perception, right? And uh, and it was really fun for me. And this is something that I adopted on my own, right? This was just natural. This is just what I like to do. And uh, when I was uh, probably about five, six, seven years old, uh, I would I would go to my dad's house and we would watch. We would people watch all the time, right? So yeah. he. he exaggerated that. I don't, and I never told him. I don't think he knew. Maybe he kind of saw me, you know, parents are, are, are observant as well. Yeah. Right. So maybe he just noticed that that's what I like to do. So he just kind of uh, made it a hobby when I went to go visit him, but we would watch people all the time. And uh, my father, he lived in South central Los Angeles. So there was always a lot of activity going on as a lot of people know for that area. Yeah. And, uh, and we would watch people go right, you know, walk past his house. We would watch people, like if there's something going on outside, we would kind of sit outside of his porch and watch what's going on. And he would always narrate what he saw, right? Or what was in us. He would always narrate it. And, uh, and he was usually right on the money for me being a six, seven year old, at least that's what I thought. <laughs> right. So, oh, like my dad's really like, he's like a psychic, you know, he's really smart. Oh my God. And, uh, so yeah, that's what, that's what we would do. And, uh, sometimes we would get into the car and follow people, which is oh, really creepy. Yeah. But we just wanted to see <laughs> Particularly in South central Los Angeles. <laughs> and, yeah. Right? Very risky. But uh, we were just so curious, right? We wanted to know if our observations were correct. You know, it was just fun for us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we would do that all the time. And he would get very uh, detailed with how he would narrate. It wasn't just, you know, oh, check this guy out. He thinks he's all that. Right. And 
know, it was more so check this guy out, look at the way he's walking, the pace that he's going. He's looking over, he's looking to his left. Why is he looking to his left? How, why does he wait so long before he turns the corner? You know, where exactly is he going? And usually these are people that my dad has seen before. So he actually has a little bit of a Right. He has a little bit of a profile on these people. So uh, that kind of plays in him being correct all the time. But that's how deep it would go for him and I, which I already had that hobby on my own. So it just kind of carried out as I got older. Yeah. And then how did you how did you then learn to use that to to predict what someone would do? And also for you, how situations would play out like you have an anecdote um, in Be Better Than You where you talk about how someone wanted to play a prank on you and uh, and a friend said i wouldn't advise that because you'll probably be the one who who gets got <laughs> right. <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah uh, yeah that's interesting uh, as far as for me yeah you're right i don't i don't just observe i learn from what i observe i break it down because again that's what's fun for me so i am observing people I have like this, like this imaginative library in my head, right? So everything that I observe, I shelve it, right? And, uh, and this, this is what allow, allows me to kind of read the tea leaves in every situation because, you know, I kind of, that old toilet analogy, you've seen one toilet, you've seen them all, right? So for me, everything that I observe since I was a kid, I document that in my head, and there's a special place, you know, uh, where I document all this stuff. And so when I see it again, it doesn't matter what style it is or frame or clothes it's wearing, what's on the outside. I've seen this before. Right. So I might not know exactly what's going to happen right at that very moment. But I kind of have like this foresight where it's like, OK, everything in the library starts to unfold really quickly. I'm like, okay, this, the way they're blinking, the way they're looking at me, what they said, the the cadence in their voice, how, the pace that they're speaking, the way they approach me in the first place. Everything that goes on is like that I, um, That li- library is unpacking very, unfolding very quickly. And this is how I'm able to get 10 steps ahead, right? Um, and even uh, some of my friends, uh, they know, <laughs> they mock me all the time because they you know, I tell them, I'm like, I know you better than you know yourself. And I'm I'm saying that playfully, right? But they speak to me all the time because they're like, you probably do. You know what I mean? Because they just witness intimately, you know, uh, the things that I've been doing my entire life. So I, I find that fascinating because it's it's one thing it's one thing to be able to observe all of that and catalog it, but it's also the recall, the fact that the way your brain works is you very quickly, I guess, catalog this information and then you are able to recognize almost subconsciously when you see that toilet again, um, to right. use your, your own anecdote, which is, um, <laughs> which is really, really fascinating. That's a very, uh, common saying in America. Anyway, you see one toilet, you see them all, but, uh, yeah. So for me, that is it. You know, I, I do catalog everything I see. And I think that's the difference when, you know, I run into some people uh, who also share that they have a habit of observing. Right. Um, I think we all do. Right. That's that's part of just our existence and our experience as human beings. That's how we learn. It's a part of your learning experience as well. Right. But there's a difference between observing and then learning from what you observe and unpacking and breaking that down. Because once you break down what you observe, you're also you're you're applying what you observe to everything that you already know, 
right? So it's just like, it's like giving each stack of whatever the key areas of life or whatever is your values, your morals, uh, the knowledge you already have, what you're observing, you're giving a little bit to all of that. You're spreading it all around and you're unpacking it. So now what you've observed is now become a part of you, right? It becomes a part of your own knowledge and your experience. So uh, for me, that's why it sticks so hard. So when it comes back, I'm like, it's kind of like you're reliving a dream. It's like deja vu, right? Okay. So I think that's... Yeah. Or like muscle memory. Muscle memory, right. Yeah, exactly. So it, so when it does happen, so when I do see something very intricate, it comes back and I'm like, I've, I've seen where this goes, right? So it could be something very simple, just the way someone's walking or approaching me or something like that, or even having a conversation with people that it has nothing to do with me, right? Maybe two people having their own interaction, I can judge and feel safe. And I'm not always right. Absolutely not. But I can feel safe in my judgment of where that's going to go. So right. you say that people come to you for advice often because you're able to do this. And when they're, I don't know, let's say in a tricky situation with their boss or a partner, you are probably able to use that skill to give them some advice on where conversation might go or where a particular move they make might go. And I, right. I guess you use that for your own benefit as well to get where you are today. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, uh, and I think I say this in the book too, when you, when you start to break it down and uh, really elongate, you know, that concept, it comes off as manipulation. Right. So it's like, well, you know, you're a master manipulator, right. Which has a negative context, but you know what it is, it is just a learning experience. It really is just an experience or experiment, I should say. Okay. Uh, and I'm just constantly experimenting. That's the part of the curiosity. I'm a very curious person. But the thing is with, with manipulation is, is that's, that's a part of life. Yeah. Right. Even when you talk about manifestation. Yeah. Right. Part of that word is manifestation is manipulating energy. Yeah. People, that's what manifestation is all about is feeding, feeding, putting that energy out into the world, receiving the energy that's in the world and, and manipulating it and collaborating with it to get what you want, to get the results that you want. Do you, do you believe in that? Because it feels to me when I go through your book, your approach is, is very, um, it's much more studied. It's more method methodological. And sometimes with manifestation, there is an idea that it's, I'm going to throw this positive energy into the universe and, and something's going to come back. Whereas your approach seems to be a bit more structured than that. So I'm interested to know where you sit with manifestation. Sure. Yeah. I think everything is energy. Okay. Right. So when you talk, when you talk about things that uh, you talk about foresight, being proactive, mm -hmm. energy has a lot with that, that feeling. Okay. Uh, the signs, as far as, you know, like the methods, when I talk about the way someone's blinking or approaching me, like we discussed before, those are accessories. Those are telltale signs for me. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is now the obvious Right. So, of course, you're not always with with energy. That's something that is cohesive. So when you talk about manifestation, like I said, that's a collaboration. And that's it's very um, uh, direct, I guess, not even direct, but it's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
you know, there's follow through with manifestation because it's very direct, it's very focused, and you're constantly keeping up with that. You're constantly collaborating where if I'm meeting somebody, for instance, that I don't know, I don't have that opportunity, right? right? I, I, don't, I don't have that luxury of being in the flow with this person, being cohesive with this person. So the telltale signs for me are their body language, are the way they're moving, the pace and what they're walking. So those are very obvious signs. But as far as manifestation and getting what you want, oh yeah, it's, it's totally about energy mm-hmm. and figuring out where you fit into that and using that to your advantage. Everything else, you know, it's just bonus points. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. I was very skeptical about the idea of manifestation for a long time. But the more that I speak to people, particularly on this podcast, I think I've come to learn that manifestation is focused energy. And that's potentially the difference. It's not just wishing and hoping it's focused energy, um, which Mm -hmm. I think is, um, is probably where I was skeptical for a while. Oh, yeah. And when you talk about manifestation on the surface, I'm not interested in that either. (laughs) Right. So there is there is also uh, something in the book where I talk about affirmations and how I'm not interested in affirmations. And when I say that and obviously in the book, I go a little bit deeper with that as far as how I truly feel. But uh, the surface level of affirmations and how people are using it, the narrative, I believe, is misguided to where it is comparable to what you're saying as far as manifestation. Just, oh, I'm just going to throw this positive energy out. And life is going to reward me for it, right? Which is, we, we know that's built on bullshit. <laughs> and it's, it's built on, you know, a phoniness and being fake. And that, and that energy is just, it, there's nothing that's going to come from it, right? Yeah. Even when you talk about God, when you bring that into play, you know, it's like, oh, I asked God for this. So I'm just going to sit back until he gives it to me. Well, well God's not your genie. You know, even that, even that's a partnership. Even that's a collaboration. Because in order for him to move, you have to move. Right. So talk about affirmations. It's the same concept. Okay, you can say I am this. I am a positive person or I will get my dream job. As long as you're making steps, that's when manifestation comes into play, because now you're driving that energy. You're driving that force and everything that you do, as long as you're continuing to put one foot in front of the other, all the energy is going to start being very close. It's going to start stewing in your direction. So now everything that you see will be relatable to what you want. Mm-hmm. And that's all you that's all you'll be able to see as long as it's focused, mm-hmm. right? And for it to be focused, there has to be an emotional drive behind it. Yeah. And that's how you start to get this energy to work in your favor. And at that point you can do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> you talk a lot in the book about the influence of both of your parents on you when you were growing up and also in developing some of these skills and and in particular your relationship with your mother, she seems like such a powerful force and such a resilient person. How have, has your relationship with, I mean, you mentioned your father earlier and his impact on your observational abilities, but what about your mom? Because when I read the book, I really feel like this is a story about all three of you. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned that. Cause I feel like I've been getting that a lot lately with the book and granted, I love it, but that wasn't my intention with the book. So it's really funny how when people read it, they're like, Oh, it's a book about her mom and her dad. I'm like, it's not, <laughs> but 
I, I love that that's what people are getting from it. You know, um, you know, the context behind the precedent that it sets, you know, is is remarkable because they were fantastic parents and they were extremely, extremely intellectual and intelligent. And I don't think they were being strategic, as strategic as it seems to be. Yeah. Right. Like for my mom, for instance, my mom, she's told me before that she she has no idea what she's doing. Right. She's just playing with the cards that she was dealt and she's trying to do it in the, the most responsible, right, most intuitive way that she can. And my mom was very religious and spiritual. So, and I'm sure my dad followed in the same footsteps uh, and they just listened and did whatever they could. But yeah, with my mom, she played a huge role, Yeah, you know, so that was the role that my dad played uh, because it started so early on and it was very direct. Like, this is what we're doing. We're observing people where me and my mother, we actually never did that. Yeah. Right. So where she came into play was making it to where anything that I say, and anything that I do, I have a deep understanding of why I'm doing it, what I'm doing, right? And I can I can express it, mm-hmm. right? I can define it. So, for instance, there's a section in the book where I talk about I couldn't even, like, bad words yeah. in my household were words you didn't understand, right? Words you didn't know the meaning to. So, for instance, I could say shit, and that's fine because I understand the context of that. But I think like I think I forget the example that I used in the book, but I couldn't use the word superstitious or, you know, something like that if I did it, if I couldn't define it. And she would ask me. So she wouldn't know. She knew her kids very well. So if I came to her and was like, oh, that's so superstitious. She'd be like, what does superstitious mean? <laughs> right. You can tell you didn't know what I was talking about because of the way I said yeah. it. Right. Uh, and, and it was way out of context. Right. So uh, she would just look at me. She's like, what does superstitious mean? And I'm like, oh, you know, well, I don't know. And she's like, and she'll say, and she'll be serious. She'll say, well, don't say it. Well, don't, don't say anything. You don't, you don't, if you don't know the meaning to it, you shouldn't be saying yeah. it. Right. And I would get in trouble for that. So granted, once I figured out the meaning to it and understood it, I could say it as many times as I wanted to. Right. So uh, that's that's just one example, but she was she was so direct but indirect as well, right? So, for instance, like even when I was a kid, I couldn't come to her and just say I don't feel good. She wanted to make sure that I was able to define what I was feeling on the inside, wow. because granted, and this can go a lot of different avenues. First of all, just for me to understand how I'm feeling and be able to express and define that and understand it, but also as a kid, what if something happens and she's not around? You're talking about people who don't know me. Mm-hmm. And if I don't actually feel good and I can't express what's wrong with me, I can't get help. Right. So there was a lot of different situations going on in her mind, which was the reason that she would make me do this and make me go through this. So if I come to her and I just say, oh, I don't feel good, she would say, well, we don't have medicine for that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so when you when you feel better, I hope you feel better. But, you know, if you still don't feel good later, you figure out what's wrong with you. you know, come back to me and we'll see. I'll see what I got. Yeah. Right. That would really happen. That that's that's very <laughs> interesting to me, and it's also you know the reason why I brought out your brought up your mother is because I'm a parent, and there were certain things that you said about your relationship with her, which I think it definitely makes me think about the way I parent. If I want to, you know, enable my kid to be observant and be able to use their skills and understand their emotions in a way that's really productive for them. So I thought it was interesting from that perspective. Yeah. I think it, I, you know, in my, my mom actually said this in the, uh, the last conversation I was having that uh, my mom got a lot of flack for how she raised me. Right. You know, some people 
people would say it's dismissive. Some people would say she was doing things in front of me that she shouldn't have been doing, like dating, you know, things like that. But my mom, she exposed me to the truest part of herself, right? Obviously, there's things, you know, I'm an adult, she's a child. There's certain things you don't do in front of your kids yeah. or you don't say. But other than that, like she, I didn't feel like she was only my mom. Yeah. Right. In some large part, I felt like she was not, I won't say a friend. She was actually very clear that she was not my yeah. friend as a kid. She's, I'm, I'm your mother. Right. So she kept that level of uh, respect and hierarchy. But at the same time, I did feel that she was exposing the purest parts of herself. She did that. So our relationship was close since I was a kid. And then it just blossomed and got even more intimate and stronger uh, since until the day she passed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sorry to hear she passed. Um, I didn't pick that up in, in reading the book. Oh, yeah. No, it's okay. No, I appreciate it. She passed uh, 2020. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a hard couple of years, huh? Right. You know, what's so funny, though, that you mentioned that you didn't pick that up is that I've learned recently. And when I say recently, I mean a couple weeks ago that I still talk about her in present tense. And I think there are parts in the book where I've done that. Yes. Uh, so so uh, I, I've, I've recently got in touch with that uh, from someone, I think it was actually a family member mm-hmm. that said I was on a podcast and I was talking about her as if she was here. Yeah. And there were some people who said, well, you do that in the book too. Mm-hmm. And there were parts when I was writing the book where she was still yeah. alive. Okay. Right. So I went through that transition. So yeah, so it's it's not your fault, but thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, sorry about that. Um, so I want to talk about your work, the work that you describe and be better than you, like in in process, because you knew age seven that you wanted to be an animator. You've now developed this methodology, I guess, to getting what you want when you direct your energy and your attention to it. But you also wobbled a bit because you delayed going to full sail to, to study. So what happened there? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. This was, uh, I always call this the, the hallway incident. Mm-hmm. And that's just the title of it. Right. Uh, but this was a time in my life where fear paralyzed me. Right. And I experienced fear in its all its glory for the first time and thankfully the last time. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I wanted to be a I wanted to be an animator since I was seven years old. You know, everything about Disney and Disney characters, it just lit my fire like I loved it so much. And the plan was, yeah, to grow up and be an animator for Walt Disney Animation Studios. And uh, luckily, when I was a kid, though, my mom allowed me to explore. Right. So I did a lot of things as a kid. I loved playing basketball. I loved being in band and all that kind of stuff. But once I got to high school, my mom was like, all right, lock it down. What are we going to do? So I had this very extensive project, which I'm sure you read about, um, that I had to choose. I had to lock it down. Okay, what are you going to do? And I decided I wanted to be an animator. So once I graduated high school, the plan was to go to Full Sail, which was the college that I found. Right. And uh, this, uh, this actually required me to leave home. Right. And then obviously this was my dream come true. Well, this was the gateway to my dream come true. Right. In some way, going to full sale was already a dream come true. But I knew what it would lead to. I knew it was going to lead to what I ultimately wanted to do since I was a kid. And that scared the living hell out of me. Mm -hmm. So once I graduated high school, the plan was to go to full sale. But what happened was once I graduated, I kind of chickened out a little bit. Right. Because I started to get scared of everything. Really. You're right. 
I started to get scared of what if I don't make it, you know, I'm leaving home, I'm leaving my mom, I'm leaving my friends. What if I do make it? Yeah. Like how, how scary mm-hmm. is that? Am I prepared for that? Do I, do I really want that? You know, like, oh my God, I can't even imagine that. Like, you know, and there were just so many different layers of fear. And then obviously the uncertainty of all that too. Yeah. Will I make it? Will I not? Am I going to be okay by myself? You know, I'm, I'm, 18, 19 years old, I'm like, I don't even know how to call the bank to ask about my account yet. You know what I mean? I'm not even comfortable doing that. What do, what do you mean? I have to leave home and live in a whole nother state by myself. There was a lot going on. So I did chicken out and I went to my mom and I talk, and I tried to, well, I did talk her in the first time. I did talk her into going to a community college, mm-hmm. right? And this community college is up the street from my house. And I told her, I promised her pretty much. I said, I'm going to go to this community college, get my feet wet, Right. In the whole college life. And then after that, we go to full sale. Okay. Right? And she bought it? She she didn't, but she did. Okay. So no. <laughs> she she knew I was full of it, but at the same time, she was like, I think she knew I was scared, so she just went with it. She said, Okay, mm-hmm. fine. You got right? one so pass. she went with that. <laughs> I got one pass, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm gonna fast forward. So I went through that two years of the community college. And the fear started to set in again. Everything that I was feeling after high school just came rushing back because I'm just like, no, like I was so comfortable yeah. with my lifestyle, right? I had my job, I had disposable income, I had friends and like, I just did whatever I wanted to do. I was living with my mom. I'm like, this is perfect. This is so perfect. I don't need to, I don't need to chase my dreams. Like this is cool. No worries, no risk, no reward. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so once I graduated the community college and it was time to go to full sale, I circled right back to the same stuff. Right. So, and this time I knew it would be worse. Cause I'm like, if she didn't think I was being a chicken, then she knows I'm being one now. Right. And this is not going to sit well with her because she was 50, 50 last time. This time it's a hundred percent. So, uh, it was, it was really interesting because I wanted to catch her off guard. So I caught her in the hallway on her way to her room. Right. So, and I thought this would be best because I'm like, all right, well, if it's not a sit down conversation, then I won't experience so much. I won't have any pressure. I won't feel like the loser that I do already feel like, you know, but it's going to be a hundred times worse. If we had this sit down conversation, she's going to be staring at me. It's going to be weird. Right. <laughs> so I'm just like, all right, the best case scenario is for me to catch her off guard. And she was in the, and we, so one day it was a very good day. Caught her in the hallway. I was like, mom, you know, kind of thing. She turns around you know, and she's just like, well, what do you want? Right. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, you know, so I'm like, you know, just like sheeping down. Right. And I'm just like, oh, you know, I, I was thinking like, you know, I should continue my education at the community college. Right. And she was just like, she just looked at me. She said, do they have computer animation? And I was like, well, no, they don't. But I said, they have simulation and game programming. And she said, I'm still not moving. Just is that computer animation? And I was like, well, no. I was like, kind of, but I guess, no. And she was like, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> and after she said that, she turned around and she just walked away. Like, n- like nothing. Like, she just said that was the stupidest thing she's ever heard in her life. Turned around, went in her room, and that was it. And I just sat there, like, in the hallway, just not feeling yeah. great. <laughs> like, just not not feeling good. Like, I felt awkward. I felt like a loser. Uh, I felt cheap, you know, uh, and I just felt that fear was 
paralyzing me. Yeah. Right. And I, and everything that I was already feeling before I felt it, like I felt underground, like it was, it was rock bottom, but I was like beneath that, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and I, I, it ate me up, you know? And the, and the craziest part, you know, about this story is that we never had this conversation again. So my mom didn't like circle back and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I was being very dismissive. How are you feeling? Tell if you're scared, you know, okay, maybe you don't have to like, we actually, I never went to her either and said, Hey mom, like, dang, you're just going to leave me here. You know, like the energy was too thick yeah. for me to even like, just for us to have another conversation for me. And like in that moment, I knew what I was doing. Right. And I was trying to get her to buy it because I'm like, well, if you buy it, then I'll be okay with it. If I can sell you on this, then I'll be okay with it. She knew way too much. She, she knew all of that. And this is exactly why she responded the way she responded. And I'm glad because this was the turning point of my entire life. Mm. And the first and last time fear has ever been an object in my life. Yeah. So moving on from that, let's talk about being proactive um, because you have a very interesting definition of proactivity and it's kind of, it puts you in a place which is the exact opposite of that place that you just described when fear was making you immobile. Um, so what is being proactive to you? Right. Uh, well, being proactive to me is, you said generating a level of foresight that serves you until the end of time. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, essentially, you know, it's like we said before, living 10 steps ahead, right. Being able to think and operate with a different perception at the same time, you know, because if you can, if you can do that, the more ways you can see one thing, the easier it's going to be for you to get ahead. The easier it is for you to process, because if I've learned in my own life that if I'm only filtering everything through my perspective, I'm not going to get anywhere. It's going to take me a long time to sit here and think about what Shay would do. I can get stuck a lot of times if I'm only considering what Shay would do because Shay is only one person and the world is ginormous. Things are changing all the time. A lot of things are happening that you don't know about. People are experiencing things that in this, in your lifetime, you're not going to approach. Yeah. Okay. So uh, if, if you can learn from everybody and learn from all of your experiences and digest that, Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to get to a point where you're going to be incredibly proactive, like I said, which is essentially living 10 steps ahead because you're, be, you're going to be able to process different levels of perception at this, constantly, simultaneous at the same time. And that's going to be able to get you ahead. So this is how you see something and you can be able to pierce right mm-hmm. through it. Right. So for me, that's what proactive means. And, and, and obviously, if you're being proactive and this is this is your life and this is what you're practicing, um, you're you're automatically by default in a position to respond right rather than you know impulsivity right and react which you're gonna which that's gonna happen anyway because we're human right you know you can't always remain objective right but uh you're you're like i said your default is gonna be feral yeah you know feral and in, in a responsive way because you can uh, you can process much quicker yeah. than the average Joe or than someone who's only considering their own level of perception. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need to put our, we have to put ourselves on this pedestal. Like, Oh, our opinions are top tier. What we think is the only thing that matters. 
if you want to box yourself like that, you can, but you're not going to get far. You're not going to learn much either. You're not going to be able to evolve if that's the case. Now, you can value yourself. No one's saying don't value yourself, but understand that what you know, you only know it through the format in your mind. It's important to keep an, an, an open mind and share, right? Share that level of perception, you know, absorb people's experiences. This is what this is what's going to take you up, because the more options that you have in your life, you're going to continue moving forward and moving forward at a high speed. Yeah, you're never, you're never going to get stuck. And that's the benefit of, of practicing uh, proactivity. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's my definition of it. So how do you practice proactivity? Because part of it also seems to be about managing that initial emotional response to react to a situation, to be able to hold that and take a step and look, zoom out and look at the whole picture. Yeah, for me, uh, it's, first of all, it's understanding that we don't need to draw conclusions all the time, right? So one thing about being proactive is that it's, you know, it's not preemptive, right? It's not predatory. You're not looking for certain things to make a conclusion about, right? You're more so accepting what's in front of you. And this is okay. So we're talking about proactivity and foresight, but then it's like, okay, we well, are turning around and you're saying accepting what's in front of you. Yeah. It's accepting what's in front of you. And then just reading that and taking that for what it is. So when I, so what I do is I, I like I said, I follow clues. Yeah. Right. So I, I go with the energy, but then I have all these telltale signs that I'm lining up. Right. Very fast in my mind. And this is how I get to that point. Right. But it, I, I can't get to that point if I'm not observing other people's experiences, if I'm not digesting the things that I observe, if I don't have this library, if I don't do this initial work, right? You know, we talk about in my book, we talk about self-reflection and that's the first chapter. And that's there for a reason because the work goes way back before you can be proactive. Yeah. You know, I'm talking about observing other people. You have to know yourself first. Mm-hmm. So that's already a lot of work to do. So once you get to this point, it, it feels like a lot of power. Yeah. Because you're like, I already have this deep level of understanding of myself. I'm constantly observing other people and I'm unpacking and I'm doing my work with that. And it sounds like a lot, but it's really not. You know, we do this already. We just throw we just throw what we observe away. You know, we have opinions. We have, you know, judgments. We have false judgments. Are, are we just talking crap about people? Yeah. Are we gossiping? So we're already doing this deep level of this extensive level of observation and breaking things down. We're just not using it to our advantage. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we can get in people's business and gossip all day. Yeah. You can remember things that you gossiped about. Right. In the workplace. You'll remember things five years ago from the workplace. When it comes to gossip, you can do the same thing with yourself. Right. And something that's useful and use it as a tool rather than a form of entertainment. That's, um, (laughs) that certainly makes me reflect on myself and that maybe I'm not using my brain to its best capacity because yeah, I mean, (laughs) I can remember gossip and I can remember jingles from like when I was a kid, advertising jingles from when I was a kid, but you know, I can't remember school timetables and you know, the important, the important stuff. Yeah, no, I was I was going to say, you know, that's another thing I talk about in the book is, you know, memory, right? Our memory and our imagination, right? It's, it's, it's more so about using it to our advantage. And I, and I say it all the time, you know, this sounds like a lot because we haven't gone down this path. 
you know, we go down the path of, like you said, the gossip and the, the television shows and the jingles and all this other stuff, remembering other people's yeah. life, having an opinion about other people's life. But do we integrate our own a lot? No, we integrate other. Why does she do that? <laughs> why does he do that? I can't understand why he does that. He knows that he's this kind of guy. He knows that he's always late. What do you know about yourself? Yeah. Right. So, so we are, we're already doing all these things that you need to do all this work. We're doing all the work. We just need to do it in a way that's advantageous to us and the life that we want to live. So it's nothing extra. It sounds like a lot, but we're already doing it. So for me, as far as how I practice proactivity is that, yeah, right. I think the other thing that really stands out, well, stood out to me when I was reading through your book and I mean, I, I haven't finished it. It's something that I sort of pick up and um, put down and need to digest. It's it's not a it's not a quick read, but I feel like it's something you should keep on your nightstand, you know. And every time you're struggling with something, you pick it up. Um, but mm. you put a lot of accountability on your reader, you know. I think you even write that you already are who you want to be. So it's very powerful in the sense that. The belief is that uh, you you have a lot of control over your life, over whatever it is you want to achieve. But at the same time, what about circumstance, right? Because we are all born at a different level of circumstance. But it puts people all on different places in the ladder from the get-go. So for some people, the journey is much steeper than others. I mean, I think you you also mentioned that you you didn't have, you know, parents or friends with a huge network. You know, doors didn't open for you. You had to do it yourself. So how, how much does circumstance, how much do you believe circumstance comes into play? Or do you, do you truly believe that, yes, it's going to be harder for some people than others, but do the work, focus your energy, and you can get there? Right. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I think that circumstances do play a huge part mm-hmm. in uh, getting what you want, right? Or, or chasing your goals or whatever it is, or just growing as a human being, personal growth. Circumstances do get in the way. Uh, I'm not going to go down every avenue, but in general, uh, goals and obstacles, you know, they're magnets to each other, yeah. right? So whatever your goal is, so whether it's personal, whether it's professional, whether it's your relationship or just within yourself, Obstacles are going to come. So as soon as you set a goal, you better believe life's going to smack you right in the face, okay, to test you, right? Whether you, whether you, you can take it as a test or not, but just understand that the moment you set a goal, even if it's in your mind, and you're like, I want to lose 10 pounds. Okay, well, you better, you, you better bet that there's going to be an office party, you know, karaoke night. There's going to be all kinds of temptation and all kinds of things that's going to make this very, you know, difficult for you, right? And, uh, and this is why when it comes to things that you want, you know, there has to be an emotional drive behind it. It's important for you to consider why you want it, right? Because circumstances will happen. And this is why when you talk about goals and dreams, yeah, you talk about people's environments, they're being stunted by their environments. This is why the emotional drive is so important because of the circumstances, because of the obstacles, because when they come, you need a reason to keep going. And the goal by itself, if you haven't done the work behind it of figuring out why the hell I even want this going, what does it mean to me? Then it's going to be easy for your circumstances to play the number one reason you didn't succeed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so circumstances definitely do play a role, but that's why I said it's important to do that work. 
and understand why you want what you want mm-hmm. and really dive deep. You, you, you know, there's an exercise in the book where you can get to yeah. that, right? You can get to that place. And, uh, and I've administered this with other people as well. And it can get very emotional. And maybe the goal will change once you go through that exercise. The goal is pro- maybe it'll change because once you have this revelation of like, whoa, I didn't think it would get there. I wanted to be a millionaire. Now all of a sudden I'm over here like insecure about my dad-in-law or, you know, whatever the case is. Like, I didn't even know he was part of my subconscious. And when you start breaking things down, that's when you, that's when you, your heart gets involved. And when your heart gets involved, it's going to be hard for you to let yourself down. Yeah. Right. And my mom used to always say, people do what they want to do. Yeah. So what you want, you will do it. I wrote this book in the process of losing my yeah. mother. Right. And then ultimately lost her. I had a hundred and million reasons, justified reasons for this book not to be here today. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's about mindfulness. Right. And understanding that even though there are circumstances in your life and you need to create an emotional drive for what you want, there's also another side with the mindfulness part and understanding that it's okay to take a hiatus. Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes life will stop you. Your circumstance will stop you. Now, granted, it's going to bring you to a halt. But that thought is 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 going to live in your mind. You're not going to be able to let it go. Right. So you might have to pause because your your life and your circumstances won't allow you to per- proceed, but you can pre- you're proceeding in your mind. You're still thinking like that. So no matter what your goal is, if your goal was to lose 10 pounds and now you can't because now, you know, a real life situation is going on, that thought is not going to leave your brain. So soon as the circumstances has come to a close and everything must pass, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not going to for it and it may continue for a year but it's not going to go on forever it's not going to leave yeah. it's going to be it's a nagging thought yeah. when you come up with why you want what you want it's a nagging thought and there is no circumstance or there's nothing it might stop you it might bring you to a pause but you're gonna soon as soon as the light turns green you're yeah. off right so yeah i mean i think that's interesting because yes i mean circumstances will bring you to a halt at times they can also redirect you mm. for good or for bad. And what about mistakes? What about situations where something stopped you? You've changed course. When you've made mistakes in your life, even big ones, how can you use this work to get back on course? Right. I think it goes, it goes back to the emotional drive. It goes back to why you want it. Mm-hmm. It always, it's always going to go back to what you want because that's the key. Like you, we do what we want to do. Yeah. Uh, there's always, there's always a moment, right. Uh, to redirect yourself or to course correct, as I like to say too, right. It's, it's, it's never, it's never too late to start. Okay. So and you can do that as many times as you want to, you know, in life, in life, there's no, no, there's no rule book. There's nothing that you're obligated to do. The only thing that you're obligated to do is something that's whatever's inside of you that moves you. That's your moral obligation. That's the only obligation you have. Other than that, it's your well-being. So as far as doing something or not doing something because of your circumstance and then having regret that you let the circumstance paralyze you or overtake you, you can start again. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. That's very courageous. 
just persistence. That's what that means. It's resiliency. That's what that means. That means that things come to stomp you. And trust me, in my life, there's been a million times where life has come and like grabbed, I, I think I said it in the book the same way, grabbed me by the ankles and just slammed me on the ground like a million times. Yeah. Right. But okay. But as soon as it's done slamming me, right. And lets me free, then I'm like, all right, well, let's try this again. <laughs> right. So and that's and that that's what persistence and resiliency means. And we forget those words. Yeah. We 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 sometimes feel upset or even ashamed or embarrassed that we have to, you know, that we failed or we or we stopped something we said we were gonna do. Like we can't just pick it back up. Yeah. You just pick it up and you keep moving, baby. That's yeah. it. Right? There's nothing certain in this life outside of death. Yeah. Right? So until that day comes. You keep striving to do whatever you want. You keep you keep experiencing your life because, as I mentioned in the book, human beings, there's no expectation of us. We just we we're allowed to come up with that on our own. What boxes us in is these labels we put on ourselves, right? These expectations that we allow from the outside and we live from the outside in instead of the inside out. Right. So as far as making mistakes, it's going to happen. And and also what I talk about in the book, that life is suffering. Yeah. It's not about being happy all the time. It's not about achieving all the time. It's not about feeling like a, a good Samaritan all the time. There's struggle. If you can find meaning in that suffering, if you can find meaning in the struggle, this is what's going to pick you back up. And this is what life is about. It's about becoming and overcoming. And the, so- the cycle continues over and over again. So, yes, you make mistakes, but that doesn't really matter. What happens, what matters is what you do after the mistake. Yeah. I think that is such a beautifully put definition of almost purpose, right? Finding meaning in the struggle or finding meaning in whatever is the challenge that you're going through. But what does purpose mean to you? And has that changed for you at all through writing this book and actually taking on, in addition to your animation work, a whole nother career? Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's challenging in itself. Right. Because like I like I mentioned, both of them take 100 percent of my attention. All right. So we're we're doing a good job uh, balancing the two. (laughs) So uh, unfortunately, sometimes BBTY does take a hit uh, every now and again because, uh, you know, my my day job has to has to top that. (laughs) Right. So but but we are balancing and, and it's a beautiful thing. But when you when you talk about purpose, you know, be better than you is my purpose. Right. So animation was my passion. OK, so this is something that I wanted to do since I was a kid. Yeah, that was my passion. Do I feel like I was meant to be an animator? No, I don't feel like that's what I was meant to do. Growing older, loving animation, loving Disney, all this other stuff. Even when I was in the trenches, you know, going through it, all these challenges to try to be an animator and try to be the, you know, perfect my craft. I didn't feel like this is what I was meant to do. That's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big difference. So even if you go through this process of setting goals, chasing your dreams, you know, going after your personal goals, whatever your dream is, there's a difference between what you want and what you're meant to do, your purpose. So your passion is what you want. Your purpose is what you meant to do and you cannot move away from yeah. it. Right. So animation was always my passion. Be better than you is my purpose. Yeah. I tried, and I'm going to be completely honest with you. I tried to run away from be better than you, right? <laughs> because it, 
came at a bad time, yeah. right? It came at a bad time. You know, the, the dawn of Be Better Than You happened when I was in full cell. But as far as writing this book, this happened about, well, probably now four years ago. But it took me three and a half years to write this book, right? And like I said, mom got diagnosed. I, I was living in Canada at the time. I ended up moving to San Francisco during that time. Then she got diagnosed. I moved to Virginia to be with her. I was her caretaker for about a year. She passed. I had to go through the grieving process. And, you know, and obviously this book is, you know, now people say it's about my mom and dad, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, so you can imagine what the grieving process was like, you know, and I, I tried to run away from Be Better Than You and I couldn't. I just couldn't like, it's like you're getting pushed into a wall. You know what I mean? You're like, okay, all right. all right. And, uh, and that's how, you know, that this is, that this is your purpose. This is something that you're meant to do. This is, this is what you, this is what the Lord is using you to serve others. Right. And, uh, the things that, uh, I've had to endure for be better than you, the things that I've had to go through to get this book out, um, to learn how to write the process that I had to go through to make sure this was done the right way. Animation has never, ever called for any of that. Right. So I've already gone through more just in this brand and this book than I have ever in my 12 year career of animation. Okay. And there's no way in hell I would do that if I didn't feel like this was what I was meant to do to serve God. Was there one big takeaway that you learned about yourself through this process? Oh, yeah, it sounds silly, but I've learned that I'm very analytical. <laughs> it sounds like a given, but I'm like, wow, I analyze everything, right? And it's something I've already known because, like you said, I've been an observant child. But since since my mom passed, I was like, you know, I, I would always try to, or even since she was sick, like I would always try to find meaning to everything. I was trying to figure things out. And it, and it took, you know, a very wise person for to tell me that, you know, there's some things that you, you just, you can't figure out. Yeah. Right. And this is, this is one of them, you know, there's no solution, right. There's only feeling. And the only way you can get through it is to go through it. Right. You can't figure it out. So if you're feeling like, and, and that and healing and people, we all understand this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we lose sight of it, but healing is not linear. Right. It goes up, it goes down, you go around town and come back. Right. And it's, it's just a wild ride of emotions. Right. And the solution is to take that ride. Very uncomfortable sometimes. But, you know, at the same time, it's very comfortable if you can accept that, that this will be wild. I will go from one side to the next. So I wouldn't even say it was uncomfortable for me. I would I would just say for me, I just realized, like, wow, like that was a big epiphany for me, for someone who felt like they like had a solution for everything. And this was one thing that there wasn't no solution for. So yes, I'm really looking forward to getting stuck further into be better than you. And yeah, I guess starting this ride myself and seeing what I find out. So thank you so much for your time, Shay. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's made me really think about some of the assumptions I've made about myself, but, but also about mindset and even purpose actually so so yes thank you awesome i appreciate that thank you if you want to learn how to live 10 steps ahead as shay says but also how to accept your mistakes your past maybe some of the struggles or difficult circumstances you've been through then you need to start by looking inward and there are a number of exercises in be better than you that can help you do exactly this 
so check it out. You can purchase it on Amazon and it's also available as an ebook. Follow Shay's work because a lot of this work and these exercises she talks about um, are available on her website and also on Instagram. And I've linked to both in the show notes. Thank you again for tuning in and you'll hear from me again next week. Bye.